Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. But this is not any ordinary edition. We are celebrating a milestone. Yes, that's right. Episode 100. We've somehow got here after what, three and a bit seasons. And yeah, it's it's an amazing achievement for us to, to get to episode 100. And hopefully the next 100 will be just as thrilling as the previous uh, We have a big show today. We're going to be reviewing all the action from Match Day 7 uh, as we get ready for the return of uh, the Spider Bundesliga match day eight coming this weekend, my co-host, as always, is Eva Lotterbola. Eva, how are you doing? A bit tired, but I'm sure not as tired as you are. <laughs> yes, recording this at uh, twenty past five in the morning. It's a Wednesday morning here in Australia. Tuesday evening in Germany and Tuesday afternoon is where we'll find our special guest for this special episode. Uh, he is the play-by-play commentator for the FIFA 21 game, which you can get on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, as well as the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series S and X. He's also doing play-by-play for ESPN in line uh, for the main games uh, for that broadcast. Uh, it is Derek Ray. Derek, how are you doing? I'm very well, Matthew and Ava. Good to be with the pair of you, and congratulations on the anniversary. I haven't counted how many appearances I've made on your 100 shows, but it's been a few, so it's great to be back. I'm sure it's more than a handful, and we're absolutely thrilled to have you once again on the podcast, and hopefully many more appearances, uh, more than probably Jack Grealish gets for England, is uh, <laughs> what we're hoping for. But um, also mm. congratulations on Scotland making the Euro, their first major tournament in 20. 20- Two years. Um, Thank you. Beating my uh, my bloodline, that is Serbia. Uh, before we uh, get to the Spider Bundesliga, uh, how was that going through the emotions of the shootout? That was a real roller coaster. Sorry about Serbia, incidentally. I didn't really fancy Scotland's chances before the game, but based on what I saw, I actually think that Scotland deserved it. I think they outplayed Serbia, who disappointed me. Mm. People like Filip Kostic and the side, but they underwhelmed. They probably have more technical ability than Scotland, but the Scottish plan was better. And one thing we can say about Scotland is we know how to take penalties. We are better than <laughs> England when it comes to taking penalties. So there is some hope going into the Euros. But yeah, 22 years, a long time to have been away. But we're back. It's good to see. And you play England in the group stage. So just just, yes. just, just beat them for, 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 uh, for my <laughs> sake. We'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> Lovely. That's all we can do. <laughs> Lovely. Let's uh, let's get to the Spider Bundesliga action, and we're going to start with what was the Monday night game between Holstein Kiel and Hamburg as well. And it looked like Hamburg were going to take all three points, Moritz higher scoring just before half time. Um, but then a late bit of heroics, uh, Joshua Mies, who they've brought in 
on a four-year deal from Union Berlin uh, a couple of months ago. He scores the equaliser, and then Kiel nearly stole all three points when Yanni Serra's shot was uh, smartly saved by Sven Ulreich, and the points were, share- were shared. It means that Hamburg, in their last two games, failed to win. Two draws, the other one... Um, it's just, yeah. So an interesting situation for them. Uh, Eva, let's look at Kiel. You know, Kiel have been in the top the top half for, for the majority of the season. What impressed you about their performance? Well, Matthew, I thought in the last couple of games, um, they weren't as strong as before. So that game against Hamburg came um at the right and at the worst time you could say because you couldn't really say what to expect from them but i thought it was a really impressive fight back from them although that goal came as late as um at a time i thought they really really deserved that draw and in conclusion i thought um both teams could be happy with the draw and i think for them it was really important going not with uh, with a defeat into the international break um, and I'm quite happy to see what they still have in the pocket for the next couple of games. Yeah, I think that in general, they've had a pretty good season. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Oli Werner, who is one of the youngest managers in the Spider Bundesliga, has shown to be a very, very capable manager in, in getting them set up. I, f- I find it's always interesting when how when he has someone like a Lee J. Sung and how he utilizes him. Uh, he's easily one of my favorite players in the league. Um, and yeah, I think that they, they, they really had a good game plan, especially late on his substitutes worked quite well. Um, and they were, yeah, they were, they were worth the, the, the point that they got. Derek, I want to talk about Hamburg with you. Uh, mm. we've, we've had seven match days with Daniel Tune. Of course, his first sort of professional type game was the Pokal, which they lost to Dresden, uh, that seems like a light year ago because they are top of the table now. What what's been your initial impression of of Tune uh, at Haasvel and and uh, and what were your thoughts on uh, his uh, coaching performance against Kiel on on uh, on that Monday night? Well, to answer the first question, I think it's been mostly positive with regard to Daniel Tune. I think we are seeing enough in the way of tactical variety and flexibility from game to game. You know, he is a a passionate coach. He's somebody who believes in his own philosophy. That's why they brought him in. And I think, by and large, it has worked very well. Now, having said that, there are negatives you can attach to this performance against Kiel, particularly in the second half. I thought in the first half it was fairly comfortable. But in the second half, we saw Kiel grow more and more into the game. And Hamburg had one or two problems with the way that Kiel pressed them, with the way that they at times went over the top. And there was a lack of comfort, I think, in that Hamburg defence, which is something that they will have to address. I mean, they've conceded, what, eight goals from seven matches so far. Need to do a little bit better than that. I think they'll certainly be aiming to do a bit better than that. And um, I did think that as that game went on, there were sort of shades of what we saw from Heisfau last season. You know, you think about some of those collapses late on uh, and the Heidenheim one, of course, was the classic example and the one that everybody refers to. There was the the Stuttgart game as well. And uh, this time they got a point out of it. That's, the again, the positive they can take from that. You mentioned Serra's chance to win it for Holstein Kiel near the end. 
So I think that it's um, it's a good sort of um, overall from Daniel Kuhn. It's a B plus, maybe an A minus for me anyway. Uh, in this game, not so much. I think this was was one of the less impressive performances, but they got a point out of it against one of the better, more resolute teams in the Zweite Bundesliga, and that's nothing to sniff at. Absolutely, and I think that's a good point you made that they did take a point out with it because. As, as you mentioned with the collapses, they would have found weird and extraordinary ways to lose. Much like if you follow the NFL, the Los Angeles Chargers, for example, a team that constantly just finds new and impressive ways to lose games. This time they get the draw and it keeps their unbeaten record intact. One of those teams they collapsed with last season, but it was a draw in the end, was Greuther Furt. Uh, they were on the road at Valfield, Borkham on the weekend, and they continued their rampant scoring. Another impressive victory for them. Two goals to nil. And it was the, well, some of the similar parties. Paul Seguin getting his fourth goal of the campaign and Sebastian Ernst getting a second as well. Those goals coming in the first half. It means that Furt have scored nine goals uh, in their last three games. They've only conceded twice. It means... For for a short period, they were second. They are now third on the table. Um, Derek, it's been a very good last few weeks for Greutherford. Um, In your assessment, what's changed? Because initial, the initial starting, they did struggle defensively. They were having all sorts of problems. Now, not only are they defending astutely, but they are scoring goals at a rapid rate. Yeah, they have found the right harmony and the right mix. And it's interesting, at the start of the campaign, a few people were telling me, have a look at Greuterfurt. And then I did have a look at Greuterfurt. And, you know, as you said, it wasn't all that impressive, but they are now hitting their stride. And I think the balance is right under Stefan Leitl. I think the way that they put the team together makes a lot of sense. And in this match, they, you know, they outplayed Bochum. Uh, it wasn't the best of games from what I saw of it, but it was efficient. And that was all it really needed to be. Um, Paolo Zaguin, who you mentioned, is somebody who I think we should watch very closely. He is having individually a fabulous time of it in the Zweite Liga this season. He's somebody whose name I've always kind of followed closely. And you'll ask why. His dad was a player as well back in the days of the old uh, DDR um, the, the East German uh, national team. And um, I, I, I always sort of look for these connections, you know, sons of, of former players from the past, and in my case, usually from the 70s when I grew up. And, you know, he's somebody who, you know, looked as though he might be a promising player, might be somebody who could really push through at Wolfsburg, didn't get that chance. So I think all in all, uh, if you're a Greuther Fürth fan, there's a lot to be excited about because, again, this wasn't um, sensational football, but it was solid enough and um, a well-deserved victory for Kleeblatt Fürth. Absolutely. Um, Eva, we should touch on Borkum, who... Well, they weren't great. It's They've had some pretty good performances this season, but it would be fair to say that this week was not one of them. Yeah, especially if you look at the stats a bit. I mean, their passing accuracy is quite good. It's uh, 80% equally to, to Fürth. But, for example, um, they only had one shot on target, um, and they... Pantovic and Eisfeld were probably the most active players for Bochum concerning shots on goals. They had 90 long balls, five corners, and they only managed to create one dangerous 
opportunity out of those five corners. I mean, if you can't really see that a lot is going for you in a game like this, then at least try to to use the set pieces and you could see that the long balls and really find their the the right players probably and um still Riemann was quite good I thought with a 60% saving rate I thought this game could have equally um easily have the same score like uh, Bielefeld on your Berlin just from uh Bochum's per- perspective um, and of course the the penalty save as well and yeah for Bochum we we were talking about them a co- the last couple of weeks in quite a good manner and thought they had a quite a good team of course one defeat like this isn't the downfall but maybe like a wake-up call before the international break and um, that is now over of course but I'm quite sure they will find back to pre-food days <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it will be interesting to see. They definitely need, uh, especially defensively, they've made a few pretty bad errors. And I mean, the the penalty one was just avoidable. And again, Riemann made that really good save. And it wasn't the only game that featured a a penalty save. The other one uh, was Jan Regensborg versus Osnabrück. And it really is a case of who's in second, because Furt was second prior to this game. It is now Osnabrück who turned in an impressive display, but it was really a one-man band, and that was Sebastian Kirk. He scored his first professional hat-trick, given two of them were at the penalty spot, which he earned both those penalties, and he scored that wicked free kick from about a good 30 yards out. Uh, Etienne Amenido also got his name on the score sheet, uh, but it was an impressive Osnabrück display, especially after going a goal down. Uh, Either it's... it's They've been the surprise team, it's fair to say, that Osnabrück, who have, we were probably expecting to be in a position just above the bottom three or maybe in the bottom three for a few people, including myself. Um, but they are they are having a terrific season so far and, and a real testament to the, to the coaching of Marco Grutta. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen it in the Zweite Bundesliga quite some time now that as soon as um, a newbie, I want to call them, or like an underdog has to look for a new coach, especially the first few weeks in the league are kind of tough. But Osnabrück proves to be really emerging from that whole situation and I think uh, they do a really good job especially against a team that a couple of teams now had struggles to win against them which is Jan Regensburg and I thought once again if you look at the statistics here uh, Jan Regensburg actually had more shots on target with 6 out of 14 but uh, Osnabrück created 5 out of 9 so they used their chances really really well and I think that's something that brings them forward that well I mean they as you've mentioned they're second they have quite a good defense with only 7 goals against them there's only one team who is less and that's, that is Kiel um, and I think it's really important for them at least to get the points now. I mean, there's always uh, the opportunity to have a time when it's not working that well. But if you already have the points at the beginning of the season, um, that's really, really good for them. And of course, as you mentioned, Sebastian Kirk was was brilliant. And um, yeah, I thought um, they, they had a really good game. And of course, that penalty save uh, was, was huge for Osnabrück. But I think it's not, 
it's surprising, of course, but it's not undeserved. Yeah, they've they've actually done a really good job. And and talking on Sebastian Kirk, who was a bit of an outcast after leaving Nuremberg, there was a bit of uncertainty what would happen with him. Uh, he's been a very good player, Derek, and he's actually the first Osnabrück player since Adriano Grimaldi uh, back in April 8th, 2014, uh, who has scored a hat-trick in Osnabrück colours. Um, what's impressed you about Kirk's sort of resurgence? Because his last couple of seasons at Nuremberg, he was kind of in the wilderness. He's come to Osnabrück, and not only has he hit the ground running, but he's really... Um, He's really become a focal point of, of that midfield. He looks really motivated this season, Sebastian Kerk. And he's somebody who I think we were almost getting ready to consign to the the scrap heap of professional football. Somebody who's been around for a while, hadn't really done it to the extent that maybe we thought he would have done earlier in his career. And sometimes it can just be a very good fit at a particular club with a particular coach in this case with Marco Grote, and he's come to rely on him very heavily, um, using him mostly as an attacking midfielder, as was the case in Regensburg, playing off the front or sometimes to the left. And um, it is interesting, he might have to play up front in the next match just because of the overall injury situation. But he can do that, of course, as well. And uh, I'm delighted for him. I, I think it, you never know. It's a bit of a sort of a roulette situation for players at certain points of their career. And Kirk at present is at that stage where he sort of knew he had to make it count. What is he, 26? Um, you know, that's old for a footballer. It's certainly not young. I mean, it's, it's middle age to, to going on. Uh, old and um, you don't normally greatly improve at that age but um, good to see and you know this Osnabrück story is the kind of thing that we're seeing every season in the Zweite Bundesliga there was always a team that confounds and I can tell you I didn't have Osnabrück having lost Daniel Thun to Hamburg I didn't have them being amongst the high flyers even at this relatively early stage of the season but that's where they are yeah, they have been mightily impressive. Just the question now is whether they can maintain this uh, on the other side of the international break. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we're going to head to the Milan Tour when St. Pauli hosted Karlsruhe. The first of our Group 2 games has us pinned in Hamburg, but this time at the Milan Tour when St. Pauli hosted Karlsruhe, an important game for both sides. Karlsruhe have had a very difficult start to the campaign. St. Pauli have been in a lot of games, taken a lot of draws, but in retrospect, they haven't been able to get the next win. And unfortunately for them, it wasn't in this game. They were comprehensively beaten by a Karlsruhe side who were very much on it for the majority of the game. Marco Tida, Jerome Gondorf, and Philip Hoffman were the goal scorers. Hoffman now with his fourth goal in four games. He's been an important cog for Karlsruhe's sort of resurgence in the last few weeks, and it was another important step in the right direction for them. Derek, I'll start with you. Uh, we know Karlsruhe's story from last season, a draw, a, a win on the final day of the season, giving them uh, the survival that they needed, 15th place. They've had a bit of a tricky start. It would be fair to say that the sort of uncertainty around Philip Hoffman, uh, certainly contributed to that, but now that Hoffman is back and 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 very much in the thick of it, along with Marvin Vonitzek uh, and Jerome Gondorf as well, controlling the midfield, they have started to get it going. And um, 
you know, in games where Hoffman has been able to score, they've won two of those games. So it's evident that the presence of Hoffman is very much important for Karlsruhe's success. Yeah, really big win this one for Christian Eichner's side. And I tip them to be pretty close to relegation again this term. Uh, but this does give them an awful lot of belief. And you're right to highlight Philipp Hoffmann, who does know about scoring goals at this level and has been doing it for in the last four matches now. And it's always a pleasure to discuss Jerome Gondorf because I think there is somebody who um, can be a match winner and, and was maybe the best player on the pitch in this game against, admittedly, a very poor uh, Pauli. Um, but they were organized in this match, Karlsruhe. It really began at the back. They didn't make too many mistakes at the back. They sort of strolled through the game. Uh, people like Robin Bormuth, who's an experienced campaigner and somebody who can do basic defensive things very well if everything is just in front of him. And uh, Vanitsek, you mentioned as well. So I think from the Karlsruhe point of view, um, just what was required uh, prior to this, just one victory. So now they can think about the period after the international break with a lot more confidence. And um, yeah, three very well-merited points for Karlsruhe. More importantly, it gets them out of the bottom three, albeit on goal difference. What it means for St. Pauli is that they are now second to bottom, only ahead of Würzburger kickers. It has been, well, an interesting stretch for them. They did come off a very impressive two-all draw with um, Hamburger Svel, But either the problem is uh, becoming evident now, maybe, that they just cannot get that next win. They've only got one win, four draws, and two losses. Negative two goal difference. And yeah, now I guess the question is whether they can they can get that bounce back because while we, whilst we've been impressed with, with, with Timo Schultz as, as the manager, um, you know, they need to start getting results, it would seem. Yeah, of course you're right. And especially in that game, I think it was... Um, yeah, the biggest problem was that they couldn't really put any danger on their shots on, on goal, especially Daniel Kofi Kiri, who had four shots on goal. Uh, they had the same amount um, of shots on target as Karlsruhe had. I mean, if you look at the expected goals, it's 1.3 to 1.33. <laughs> so it's very close and you don't really see it on the score sheet. And I also wouldn't worry too much about it now because from the overall performance of St. Pauli, they were a better team than they were last season. And if you look at the table, you're, you're 17th with seven points. But if you win the next game, you're potentially um, around like seventh, eighth uh, place. And they have actually sh- scored the most goals in 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 comparison to the other two teams, they also have um, seven points, which are Nürnberg and Karlsruhe. So I wouldn't worry too much about that because their teams in the mix that are a bit above them that don't really convince me now. But of course, games against uh, an opponent that is on paper, definitely weaker than you. You should definitely win, especially because we keep talking about how bad it is for them to always be the first one um, that goes behind, that the opponents always find ways to score first. And uh, we said that before, at some stage, they won't be able to overcome that. 
Um, so, yeah, it's the international break. I'm sure Timo Schulz talked about that problem. Um, and, yeah, the key is now to turn that around, to probably be be the team that scores first, maybe two or even three goals, and just to keep that at a high level um, until around Christmas break. And then I'm quite sure there will be um, top of the table quite soon. It will be interesting. Uh, not, not sorry, not top of the table, but up, up half of the table. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not in the bottom three. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's move uh, to Darmstadt. Who? Whew, where do we start? Well, they got absolutely destroyed by a Paderborn side that have been resurgent in their last five games. Uh, it was a four-nil scoreline. Uh, it means that Paderborn have now taken eleven points from their last five games. Ron Schallenberg. Chris Fudrick and Dennis Sabeni. The goal scorer Sabeni has four goals uh, this season, as much as the previously mentioned Philip Hoffman. And uh, Eva, yeah, Paderborn were exceptional uh, early on, and and they really put this game out of Darmstadt's reach even before uh, the red card to Nikolai Rapp. Yeah, I think um, was something that the whole team was talking about in the in the previous games that there's really danger in a game that we know from a couple of seasons ago, from Drittliga seasons as well, from the Zweite Bundesliga season, um, was missing. And I think they kind of found that spirit a bit in that game. And um, very impressive against a team like Darmstadt, who at least managed to score um, at least once, although they concede a lot of game uh, goals as well. Uh, but I thought very impressive performance by Paderborn not, not to concede any goal and just to really show Darmstadt that they didn't really have any opportunity during this game. And um, yeah, you can just see, for example, Dennis Rubini, who had four shots on target in 71 minutes. That's quite good because if you... If you look that he he scored twice as well and yeah Chris Führig was very good as well and um Zingale was I mean he didn't have a lot of goals coming his way uh, or shots coming his way sorry but he he was quite good in goal as well and um I think Darmstadt uh, fans were very disappointed at halftime and already thought okay just from the whole way Darmstadt went on the pitch and kept playing throughout the first half they didn't really think anything would happen in the second half yeah it's been an interesting watch especially well both teams are are quite fascinating because you don't really know what you're going to get with Paderborn in terms of are they going to be kind of a a sneaky promotion contender or are they just going to do what they did the last time they got relegated from the Bundesliga which was relegated again um but this has been, the last few games have been a good sign of resilience from from them. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Stefan Baumgart had an excellent game coaching-wise. Tactically very astute and, and immediately just took the game to Darmstadt. Um, Derek, there is some concern, I guess, with the way Darmstadt are going about things. Defensively, they are all over the place. One clean sheet this season, and if you exclude that game... They're conceding an average of two and a half goals a game. That is got to be concerning for for Marcus Anfang, and you know for a team that had very high hopes that potentially they might be in the promotion race. 
I know this is early in the season, but it's really hard to, to almost take them seriously as a candidate if they concede copious amounts of goals um, without any sort of ability to kind of fight back. I think if I could put it this way, that for Darmstadt this season, it's been a change of style at a price. Um, when I think of recent incarnations of uh, SV Darmstadt, I think of a club that has been a bit more on the dogged side, a bit more resilient, um, trying to outwork opponents, trying to win games that way. You know, if you go back to when Dirk Schuster was in charge, you know, it was never really all that attractive, but it, it could be effective and it played to the strengths of the players. Similarly, last season with uh, Dimitrios Gramotsis in charge. But um, now they've gone for, and, and I'm going to use the little uh, German play on words here, Ein neuer Anfang, a new beginning um, with Markus Anfang in charge. Anfang means beginning or start in German for anybody who doesn't know that. Um, Eva's probably giggling in the background at my, my attempt to uh, <laughs> attempt to have a little bit yeah. of a, a, a <laughs> spiel from German into English, but uh, it was irresistible. So we went with it anyway. Um, I, I think that, um, so looking at this sort of change of style, um, that can take a while to bed in. And, and all the problems really were, were there for all to see in that one game against a very good Paderborn, who, you know, let's give them credit, took full advantage. But it just was defensively awful from Darmstadt. There wasn't much resistance at all. Yeah, they weren't helped by the, the red card, the uh, yellow-red for Nikolai Rapp. Um, but there was no real connection between midfield and uh, poor old Serdar Duozun in attack, who's normally a very effective player for Darmstadt, wasn't allowed to be in this game. So, I mean, quite simply a match for Darmstadt to forget all about. We know that they're capable of better. Um, but, you know, let's see what happens after the international break with them. I think there is enough talent in the team, but it's how you use it. And of course, Markus Anfang has been an interesting coach. When you think about his trajectory, you think about what happened at Köln um, when he you know, got them promotion, but they decided he wasn't a good fit. Uh, he was at Kiel before that. So yeah, I think one of the more interesting teams stylistically, but it, it really went awry for them against Paderborn. Absolutely. A team that needed to get let's let's move on sorry <laughs> um a team that desperately needed victory uh was heidenheim and they got their first win since match day one uh they beat Würzburger kickers four goals to one and they had four different goal scorers in this game dennis tomala christian kulvetter uh robert leibitz and Konstantin kirschbaumer uh it means that their two wins this season have been against both promoted sides. They beat Eintracht Braunschweig on match day one. And uh, what it meant on the other side is Würzburger kickers coach Marco Antwerpen. He became the second coach from that club to be axed. He lasted five matches and they've appointed uh, Waldorf Mannheim manager uh, Bernhard Traris. Um, Derek, let's actually talk about Würzburg for a second. It seems almost evident that they really don't have much of a plan uh, if they're going for their third coach in seven matches. Um, what do you think, besides the, the difficult defending that they've had, 18 goals given up all se this season, what do you think has been the major issue f almost internally on the pitch and off the pitch that is really affecting Würzburg from almost getting started in the Svarta Bundesliga? Well, I think this sort of backdrop of uncertainty doesn't help any club. 
and particularly a club trying to re-establish itself in the Zweite Bundesliga under difficult circumstances. But I, I think we can't avoid talking about this whole Felix Magat situation mm. in the background because um, it wasn't clear initially exactly what his role was going to be at the club. Was it going to be a sort of a, an external advisor just giving a few words of advice to board members here and there, or was he actually going to be the decision maker? Was he going to be, if you like, the the de facto sporting director? I mean, the title is what head of global soccer for the uh, investment group, the flyer alarm group behind um, Würzburg. But you know, it it looks as though he's the one who has who has made these decisions, and so he is hiring people. He's hiring people like Marco Antwerpen, and then he's firing them on the back of having said not so long ago that he needed time and he needed to be able to work in peace and we needed to let him get on with the job or <laughs> that there wasn't much peace going on here at all in Würzburg. And as you say, now it falls on Bernhard Trares, you know, who was with Waldhof Mannheim in the, the Dritte Liga, the, the third division. But they are conceding goals at an alarming rate. And um, I suppose the one thing that you look at now is that with a new coach, maybe some of the players who've been... Um, on the outside looking in might get their opportunities. People like Hendrik Hansen, uh, Leroy Kvadvo, people, you know, people who have not been part of the equation. But um, I think this Maghat thing is, is, uh, is rather interesting. I mean, you know, they, they are, are not a, a team with an awful lot of resources compared to some of the other um, clubs in the Zweite Bundesliga. But um, yeah, I think soap opera uh, is is what we're talking about with Würzburg, and I think Magat is part of that. Absolutely, it's it's. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of waiting for him to be the fourth coach uh, at some stage. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He, he, he might as well. He might as well in the end because he 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 seems to, yeah, take responsibility uh, for for his actions, and like it is just weird. I don't, I don't recall a situation where it's just gone bang bang and there's no sort of intermediate coach to set up the next one so fascinating case Würzburg um Eva Heidenheim we've we've mentioned on a number of occasions the difficulties with being in the relegation playoff not winning again they didn't actually lose on the score sheet they lost on away goals um they've had a tough time of it so far this season but to beat a team that you they know that they can they can beat on paper, that's an important step for Heidenheim, especially to get away from that sort of bottom three, bottom four situation. Yeah, although I have to say uh, that first half didn't really uh, con- convince me uh, from the Heidenheim side. Um, was just that one goal, um, and if you look at the score sheet, two of the four goals came in the last. 10 minutes you could say uh, so at that stage they really used Pittsburgh's uh, yeah lack of self-confidence maybe and also of defending um, but of course it's still a very good team I mean the like, uh, likes of Dennis Tomala as well as Christian Kuhnwetter and of course yeah Robert Leibertz and Konstantin Kirschbaumer so four names that are on the score sheet here but do really all are very good or they are all very good Swede Bundesliga players. Um and especially um I think maybe for Konstantin Kerschbaumer this is one season he can finally stand out because um 
his first two seasons were were really tough at Heidenheim. And um, especially with people like Dorsch gone, he might be settling in in the in this starting eleven or in yeah in the lineup now. Um, so for them, very important win. I wouldn't put too much emphasis on those four goals though, because it was against Würzburg. So they really have maybe for them that international break didn't come at the right time because um, they probably would have taken the whole energy, the whole confidence into the next game. I don't really know if they can keep that up because it wasn't still, it wasn't an overly good game by them in, in my perspective, at least. Uh, and one more note on Würzburger kickers. Um, some people were wondering, including me, what would happen to Sebastian Schuppan, um, who ended his career with um, maybe his last action and putting Würzburg back in the Zweite Liga. And he was appointed um, a board member today. Um, so maybe we don't know for how long because you just you guys just talked about Felix Magad, but yeah, he is now um, part of the of the board at Würzburg, so that's quite interesting for for him. I think maybe quite a good um, addition to the board because he he knows the league very well. I mean, he was at uh, Bielefeld, he was at Dresden, Cottbus, Paderborn, and as and of course Würzburg. So he he's been places you could say. He knows how how the football or just like the business works, and also yeah, he had or he has a podcast where you can see that um, he's not only living for for football, but humanitarian humanitarian projects or just um, views are very important for him as well. So maybe he brings some some good perspective into that um, chaos that is Würzburger Kickers. Yes. <laughs> very, very much so. Let's take our final break, and on the other side, we are going to start with the sleeping giants of the Zweite Bundesliga in Nuremberg and Fortuna Düsseldorf. We have reached the final group of our match date seven review. And we are going to start with Nürnberg and Fortuna. Dusseldorf, this game ended a goal apiece. Manuel Schaeffler scoring from the spot 15 minutes in. And then Keenan Karaman uh, getting his second goal of the campaign on the half-hour mark. Uh, it doesn't really do much for either team. It means that Nürnberg are still in the bottom three. They are in 16th. Dusseldorf in that sort of mid-table, which is very, very tight. Um, Eva, let's talk, uh, let's talk Dusseldorf. Uh, it's been a difficult campaign for them. The biggest problem for them has been finding the back of the net. Um, how did, how did you rate their, uh, their offensive performance against the Nuremberg side that has been a bit up and down, uh, defensively? Well, I thought they could have won that game of uh, Keenan Karaman would have used all of his uh, three shots on target. <laughs> I thought um, they both equally had three three shots on target. Keenan Karaman was um, <laughs> uh, was kind of a one man show on up front for him, which um, at the same time is good for Karaman that he gets the chances, but at the same time 
not good for the rest of the team and he's the only one that created chances for that game um in general i think statistically um nuremberg was the better team just in in terms of possession and passing accuracy but we've seen that a couple of times for for Dusseldorf now that season uh, this season that they do not have a lot of possession i think um and it i have to say it does surprise me a bit that they are above teams like like St. Pauli honestly because I think with their overall performance they're not really much better than than a team like St. Pauli is just because of course they they have to struggle with a lot of injuries and they might hope that all well at least half of them or a bit more will return now after the international break and of course they um, had some some problems with COVID cases in the team but at the same time, if you look at Würzburg again, where you have the third coach, um, then if you compare it to Düsseldorf, I mean, I still don't see anything better in that way. I mean, um, I think one um, player from Düsseldorf just uh, don't have their name at hand, but he said there's nothing to worry about. There's no need for any kind of bad feelings about the situation. Well, I would strongly disagree. Um, just if you look at the rest of the teams that are above you and just, I mean, they just thought two weeks ago that their goal is promotion. And with a game like this, with a game against Nuremberg, just from how big and how traditional both teams are, this would when fans would be in the stadium would be a huge, huge game. And yeah, uh, they should have won that. Um, and uh, in the end, I mean, it's probably a deserved draw, but I thought Fortuna Dusseldorf, if they would put more danger on their shots in general, they could have made more of it. But on the other hand, they had a brilliant, um, brilliant mm-hmm. goalkeeper back in the back on goal, 100% saving rate f- for him. So that's quite good. Yeah, it's been an interesting case to Sudorf and, you know, so easily we fall into the trap of a team getting relegated and then um, we meet, we think that they are going to be a team that will contend for promotion and, and as has been the case in a number of seasons, uh, it's just not that simple. We probably felt the same about Nuremberg last season and even this season um, that they would maybe get themselves back in the hunt, but... Uh, so far, Derek, under new management, it's been a tricky sled for them. They haven't been able to hold leads has been kind of the, 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 their forte this season that they can get themselves into a relatively good position, but then they find ways to concede. That sums it up, really, for Nuremberg. They take the leads. They can't hang on to the lead. It happened in this match against Fortuna as well. Um, there's a sense that they're just a little bit too passive when they have the advantage. They're not quite sure what to do. And, yeah, I I think Nuremberg, last season, we tended to think it was a false position. They should have been better. Is it a false position this season? They are trying to do things differently. They have in Robert Klaus, somebody who's heavily influenced by the, uh, if you like, the sort of the the Nagelsmann-Rangnick way of playing, if that's, you know, an effective way of summing it up. Um, 
but it's just not coming together properly. You know, I, I think they're in good hands. I think Dieter Hecking is somebody who's well-respected, and when he's running the sporting operation at the club, then you do have experience there, and it's just going to need uh, a bit of time. Now, they have time on their side, but maybe not if they really have designs on being a promotion side. And I thought they probably would be a, a sort of a top five, top six team. My gut told me that at the start of the season, but the evidence of what we're actually seeing on the pitch doesn't really point us in that direction. So I, I think it's um, it's lack of consistency. It's defensive um, mistakes here and there, but it's definitely a passive way of playing that's not helping Nuremberg and uh, this was not a great game to watch I mean from a, a footballing standpoint it was no work of art and it should have been a lot better based on the two clubs and where we probably think they should be 100% that is exactly how I feel about it and yeah I mean again in, in we've only again seven games in but they are two sides that are very much not living up to expectation let's move to Zanhausen uh, they hosted Eintracht Braunschweig, and much like Nürnberg, it was Sandhausen who were unable to hold a lead. In fact, their lead was two. Alexander Esfine getting his first goal in Sandhausen colours, and Kevin Behrens making it two goals in two games. But after halftime, it was all Braunschweig. Nico Proschwitz getting his third goal of the campaign, and then the joker, Yari Otto, getting his first goal with a nice looping header to beat Martin Freisel. Um... Derek, I'll start with you. Uh, we look at Sandhausen as a team that is generally very resilient, a team that is uh, very workmanlike, um, and you must sense that there would be a, a, a massive frustration for Uwe Koshina, uh, as this was a game that they had well and truly in control, but they weren't able to put away a plucky branch folk side. Yeah, really annoying for Sandhausen that they only took one point from it, given where they were. Um, started the season well, um, one or two setbacks since then. Uh, this was a good game, I thought. I thought it, it sort of moved and swayed between the boxes quite well, albeit there were one or two you know, technical mistakes, you might say. But um, I think Zandhausen you know, will be ruining the fact that they, they let it slip. Now, again, Zandhausen, one of the teams I thought would be in trouble uh, when I made my preseason prognostications. So they're probably, you know, over the piece, they're probably slightly better than, than I thought they might be, even though they, they started well and they've, they've um, struggled a bit more since then. But I think it's, um, they're certainly, you know, a team to watch in terms of what they do between now and the end of the campaign. They played five at the back in this game. As you mentioned, they were 2-0 up after, what, 26 minutes. Esvain was a player I like and have watched a lot in the, the Bundesliga, Behrens with the second goal. But they just really allowed Braunschweig to come back in a way that didn't speak too well about the overall togetherness within the side. It was an even game probably over the course of the 90 minutes, so maybe you wouldn't begrudge their opponents Braunschweig a point based on that, but Zandhausen will definitely feel it's uh, three points that got away. 100%, and when you consider that Braunschweig were missing their captain, their influential leader, and he's arguably their best player, Martin Kobylanski, um, this is a good character-building win for a uh, draw, sorry, for Daniel Meyer's side. Um, Eva, at the start of the season, we were a bit unsure as to what direction they would go in terms of their attacking. You know, we've seen them have a variety of different looks, whether it's been three up top or the two players behind the striker. Um, but Nick Proschwitz, who 
has fighter Bundesliga experience, um, is showing showcasing to be a very useful target man for them going forward. Yeah, I think it's a yeah surprise some people, me including, I have to say, um, because I wasn't really sure about him and whether he would play play a role. I mean, um, we were all having our our eyes fixed on. Um, yeah, Kubilansky, I thought, um, because he was just a really a vital character for Braunschweig in the Dritte Liga. But of course, for, for a team like Braunschweig, if they have some unexpected goal scorers and um, yeah, even people like Yari Otto, I think he, some Braunschweig fans were were quite happy that he got the minutes because um, I think he had some good good moments in the Dritte Liga as well. Um, yeah, you have to you have to find people like that. I mean, and I think that's the main difference between them and Würzburg that they have players that go forward, and it's a good mixture between players that have experience and players that are new in the league because they just can learn from each other. And um, I wouldn't settle it on on one tactic, whether you have three up. Th- front or like or one up front as you've mentioned and the two behind him as long as they have the right players playing in that position and with Nick Poshwitz you now have one that that knows where where the goal is I mean one one euro and like for the for that phrase but um yeah I I thought he he made a good game but in general I I think if Eintracht Braunschweig especially improves in, in defense, not so much in often in, in the offensive area, um, they might have a shot in staying in the league. Yeah, we know that Daniel Meyer in particular likes playing a back three. It's something that he had at Erzgebirge Hour, and yeah, you can tell he he's he's very much trying to preach this defensive first mentality, um, but it is clear that they're still kind of figuring out how to really best attack um, that playing with a back three with the two wing backs. But, you know, a good result for them, especially uh, after being 2-0 at, down at half time. Uh, our last game was the only scoreless game of the match day, Hanover and Erzgeberg Hour. It would be fair to say that Hanover would be relatively disappointed with the result, uh, whereas Hour coming off the defeat. Good point for them away from home. It is pretty... Pretty simple way to describe this one, Eva. It was Hanover, especially Marvin Dux, who had a number of high-quality chances just being unable to convert. Yeah, and I think especially the Hanover fans that were saying, well, if we don't win the games away, we at least win them at home because they have uh, their top of the home table, you could say. They have um, 10 points, 91 goals so far in four games. So quite good statistics in that game. You can really see a lot of it. I'm not sure if it has something to do with no fans being there because uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was the first game Hanover did not have fans in the stadium. So maybe you see that here. That is one well, one of the games was the was the derby that you do see that Hannover is needing that in a way. But at the same time, I mean, you had Martin Manolo and Go, who was just brilliant. I mean, he's saved all eight shots on target against him. Um, and as you've mentioned, Marvin Dux was 
not really finding the back of the net and finding his his master and Marvin uh, Martin Mano and um, yeah. I think a bit more unlucky for Hanover, as you've mentioned. Um, they should have won the game. I mean, they had more possession. They were a bit better in passing accuracy. They had more shots on target. I mean, that 16 shots on goal in total. With a team like Hanover, you would expect them, would uh, expect them to find the back of the net. I mean, I think some fans are kind of disappointed with people like Dominic Kaiser's, Kaiser, whose set pieces aren't really the best and kind of think that um, might be some change in whoever gets to to kick the, the set pieces, especially the corners. And um, yeah, they do have to improve a bit. I mean, they're playing Würzburg on the weekend away, as mentioned, not their strongest suit. And for them, I think quite difficult to see how, how Würzburg will play because we've mentioned it before, new coach, um, they can watch games by, by Mannheim, but not in a way that they can really see what uh, Würzburg will do. But yeah, they really need to put more danger on, on their shots on target. No doubt about that. Um, Derek, a word on our... It was a interesting performance from them, but it was very much something you would suggest is very Dirk Schuster-like. They worked very hard defensively. Um, you know, they didn't create a lot of chances, but they did, you know, cause a little bit of issues for Hanover and they had unbelievable goalkeeping. And it's fair to say that the decade and a bit that Martin Manuel has been at our has been extraordinarily good. Um, and he was once again, really the difference between our leaving with a point and leaving with nothing. Yeah, I think as Eva said, and as you've said, Matthew, the story from the Erzgebirge our point of view was Menel between the posts. He's been there since 2008 when he joined from Energie Cottbus. And he is a goalkeeping legend, you've got to say that. And um, they can rely on him for spectacular performances like that. He has been delivering in the early part of the season. And even when the defenders individually are not necessarily performing at a high level, uh, it does your confidence a power of good to have somebody like Menel behind you. Um, they finished the game with 10 men with Tom Baumgart sent off. They were not the better team in this match. I think it's fair to say it was slightly backs to the wall. Um, the chances um, quotient favoured Hanover, really only two or three carved out by Awe. But they'll see it as a good point, I think. It's been a, a pretty solid start when you look at the points total. You look as well at the fact that the defence is pretty tight compared to most other teams. They just don't score enough goals. And that's probably what is going to be the difference between Erzgebirge Aue being a, let's say, a top five or top six team and maybe more likely when all is said and done being middle of the pack, which is, I think, where most of us thought they would be at the start. Yep, hard not to agree with that. And to be fair, they've, they've progressed, I guess, since we started the podcast um, to now. They've progressed from a team that we expect to just avoid relegation to now being yep. a team that we expect to see in the mid table, you know, you know, mid table, and maybe pressing into the top six. So it says it actually says a lot about Dirk Schuster because that sort of change in sort of perception and mentality um, has very much coincided with him coming in and and not only being a stable option for them, but really sort of galvanising a, a group that might not on paper be seemed as talented as majority of teams in the league. So. 
um, that's something that he's done quite well and yeah it'll be interesting to see how they go going forward um, before we go Derek um, is there anything you'd like to promote um, we know that you've been doing an, an, an excellent column uh, on ESPN uh, is there anything we should look out for well, thanks for mentioning that column, Matthew. Yes, I do that every week for ESPN. I've signed a contract to be their main commentator for the Bundesliga on the games that are live on TV, which is only a handful. But I continue my work for the World Feed, although I haven't been able to do that recently because of my unfortunate geography. But we think we have a technological solution for that coming up very soon. But yeah, you can follow me at Raycom, at R-A-E-C-O-M-M, and all manner of content on that twitter feed you can never predict what you're going to read about on that twitter feed that doesn't mean it's good but it just means it's unpredictable uh, you should, <laughs> how about that you should definitely follow derek on twitter absolutely a hundred percent i can second that <laughs> spider podcast approved spider bundesliga podcast approved but yeah um do go check out derek's columns they are excellent and he provides fantastic context on the bundesliga and some very interesting stories if you get to see any of his long threads do read them. They are worth the time of day. Um, Eva, hundred episodes. We've we've somehow got here. Um, pretty surreal for us. Um, yeah, I guess uh, here's to the next hundred. Hopefully, we can continue this uh, <laughs> strong partnership going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, many thanks to to Johnny Walsh, of course, going mm. out. Um, I have been on the podcast for for two years now, uh, and a, like a month edit on that. Uh, and has it has been a crazy ride, but a really fun ride. And yeah, thanks for everyone following us, listening to us, um, engaging in any way. Um, thanks for that. Cheers for that. And of course, I hope. Um, Matthew will be my co-host for another 100 episodes, of course. Well, as long as, uh, you know, we're able to record stuff and Skype and all the other programs that we use don't fail us, here's to the next 100. Thank you for listening uh, to all our listeners um, who follow us on Twitter and, and, and listen to the podcast every week. We thank you for your support. And, um, yeah, here's to the next 100. Hope you guys have a good weekend and see you next week. Goodbye.